Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Hey, the Colts are riding a two-game winning streak heading into Week 7 and the gauntlet of AFC South games early on in the season. That concludes. It wraps up on Sunday when they take on the Tennessee Titans for the second time in less than a month. Tennessee fresh off the bye. The Colts are riding high after their win over the Jaguars, and it shapes up to be a down-to-the-wire divisional game this Sunday down in Nashville. Hi, everybody. Welcome again, and thanks for joining in on Inside Football here with Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor, but the man that you came for that's going to break it all down has 41 years of coaching major college football and the NFL. That's Rick Venturi. RV, welcome back. How are you doing today after a few days of rest and reflection on that win over the Jaguars last weekend, sort of exercising some demons for the Colts? Oh, there's no question about it, Matt. It was really uh, one of the most exciting games we've done together. Uh, I thought it was a great NFL football game, just if you were a fan, and uh, just a great win for the Horseshoes. I don't think there's any question about it. You just hit it. Uh, We exercised a huge demon. I mean, Jacksonville has really had their way with us for two years and a little bit beyond that in terms of at Jacksonville, but you know, they've, they've played us really well, and, uh, you know, we had a hard-fought uh, 60 minutes right down to the last 17 seconds uh, to win it, and it was uh, terrific from my standpoint. Um, you know, I thought that uh, I thought that Frank, you know, Frank Wright probably in my book, and I, I look at it kind of from a, you know, scientific standpoint, uh, a breakdown standpoint, I, I thought it might have been – his finest hour as an offensive coach and play caller. And the reason I say that is I thought he did a great job, and I'm a believer in this. I, I've never felt that uh, that identity was impor- important. I always thought it was more of a media uh, statement. Uh, and, I, and I don't think you should have to try to be identify yourself. I think what is important in the NFL, because it's the consummate matchup game, total matchups, both sides of the ball is that you have to what I call scratch where it itches and you know you know what I mean by that I mean you do on that day what it takes to win against that team and that scheme you know in one week it may be running the ball 35 times another week it may be throwing the ball 58 times and so what I what I really liked about Frank was I knew it was going to be tough sledding running the ball against Jacksonville it's just it's just a monster in there, really. It's a monster matchup. And so I was worried about it from that standpoint. But he, you know, he worked against the grain. He threw caution to the wind, and he came out firing. He came out firing with 58 passes, and that wasn't in a desperation game. That was a game plan. Uh, I thought the movement to the quick rhythm West Coast-type practice, uh, uh, attack really helped us offensively. Uh, in several ways. I, I think, one, the no-huddle part of it, I think, kind of gave ownership to Matt Ryan. I think he functions well in that situation. I thought it was a little disruptive. I don't know that it made a huge difference, but it was disruptive early to Mike Caldwell, their defensive coordinator, 
on two successive third downs. He couldn't get his personnel in the game. And that, that upsets you for the game. I mean, it's very different. Now, the more you do it, Matt, the less effective it becomes just as an entity because, you know, teams will have time to prepare it. But when you do it sporadically, when they're not ex- expecting it, uh, that's, that's really good. Uh, but I, I just like the style. Um, you know, and again, and again, this protected the offensive line. I this was more Rivers like. Yeah. I call it West Coast quick rhythm. I always thought that Rivers protected the O line more than the O line protected Rivers. And if you give Matt that handle, and then he can still throw it deep if they press us, which he showed late. Uh, you know, I thought they did a really good. It was kind of a sequence. You know, they started out balls to the flat to the backs, uh, you know, he screens, sway plays, swing plays. Jackson did a good job making people miss. You know, and as as you could just see, uh, the Jaguars really kind of almost overreact to that with some cover two and with some really flashes to the flat. And, of course, then the second part of the scheme opened up for uh, Pittman inside on the smash routes and the drive routes, and that's where he just excels at because he's very physical coming in there. You know, he held on, you know, when he got hit. Um, he had a little catch and run with him. And then, you know, as I said, the third phase is once we got once we got established and we, and we got uh, Pierce over there to our right all day, then that matched him up with Griffin. And I knew that would happen. It just happened so beautifully, and it mm-hmm. ended up being a game winner, um, you know, on the adjustment fade uh, late. And then I, I think the other thing that helped him, too, is – all of a sudden, you know, I think Frank is developing now a feel for his receivers. Obviously, Campbell is coming on, Grantson, Woods. All those guys have different roles now, you know, after the top two, after one and two. And that's what's so critical after a while because you have to scratch where you itch it there. I mean, there's going to be teams that will come in, and it might be Tennessee. Tennessee took away Taylor and Pittman in the first game. They really did. And so, you know, they're the kind of team that's game-specific. And so, you know, there's going to be times when the other guys, when the complementary guys have to really win. But, you know, I really like that. I think it really got us uh, jump-started and played the whole game that way. Yeah. Hats off to the O-line, Matt, 58, 58 throws, even though I think we helped them with schemes. So right. 58 throws, sure. no no sacks. I mean, you got and you take your hat off to, to Dennis Kelly. I mean – he went in there, and I felt the same way. I felt like, I felt like when he got in the game, there was a firmness at left tackle, and I think it has to do with the experience and just the size factor, the factor that he's been there, and they stayed with him on the gut, and I like that. I mean, it, 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 you know, it's all about adjustments at the game time, and sometimes it's not analytics; it comes right from the gut. And you know, I thought that was good. And then I think the other thing about the quick rhythm passing, and I mentioned this the other day on the roundtable is what you started to see a lot of, not a little bit, is catch-and-run plays. You saw you saw guys make people miss. I mean, Jackson ran through tackles. I mean, then you had uh, Granson running through tackles, and Paris Campbell made guys miss. Obviously, Pittman did. And that's where, you know, it's kind of the old Bill Walsh philosophy that the quick pass is just an extension of your running game. And, you know, you get that guy out in space, you get a good space player, and all of a sudden – you know, what could be a four-yard gain becomes a 10- or 12-yard gain. So, you know, and I, I can't say enough about what Pierce means to us and means to this offense, and it's so great to see him coming on and making plays and making plays in the clutch. Uh, but he brings something that we haven't had in a long time, right? and that is that speed on that outside quadrant of the field. 
he can climb those defensive backs. Uh, Reggie's done a good job with him. He's, you know, he's doing a good job of hand fighting at the line. And if he gets a step on you, you're not catching him. And, you know, with his body control and his extension hand catching, I mean, it's, it's, it's a beauty. And it, it just stretches the defense wide and long. And, you know, in the meantime, then that's like dominoes. That opens up a lot of other things when you have to start taking a safety right. and moving him out of there that moves everything else around. So, you know, again, it's really good to see this receiver core, including the tight ends, uh, really begin to emerge. That was a question mark everybody had. But that's being answered pretty doggone good right now. All right. Hey, before we get into to Tennessee and the blueprints for a big Week 7 game, let's talk about you know a few areas. And, and you hinted on them a little bit, but let's let's dive full in on you know areas that need to be addressed. What about the rushing yeah. defense, Rick? Because the Colts yeah. in the last three games, they're 29th in rushing defense. They're pretty good in that category in the first three games giving up about only 77 yards on the ground. But that's that's ballooned way up, and uh, we're gashed by the Jaguars for 243. How much of a concern is that for you right now, going up against you know a premier running uh, running back, I should say, in Derrick Henry? And that's that's what they want to do. That's what they're about. Their bread and butter is is ramming it down your throat. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and I, you know, I, I am a little concerned. I, I was actually – and you and I talked about it when we watched practice all summer at Grand Park. I was a little concerned. I didn't think we looked as stout on the run as I had hoped we would be. But then we started the season out lights, you know, lights out, as you just chronicled. I mean, we really did. And, and I, it, it kind of went away. But it, it's come back a little bit to me now. I will give the Jaguars credit in, you know, and I have to spank our coaches a little bit, in that I thought they did a good job on the blackboard. I, I thought they were creative. Um, and we did not adapt. And Gus said that yesterday in his press conference. He was the first to say that. Um, you know, what they did is they hurt us a lot with resetting. In other words, set the two tight ends one side, then shift them over and run the ball to the new strength. And we were very late and sometimes didn't adjust at all, and one of the gashers came there. Then they gave us that loaded, unbalanced line. It looked like 1947 but they hit hasty because they gapped everybody down. They had angles on everybody, and I think that was the 60-yard run. And so, I mean, those two things were, are just adjustments alone. I mean, we've, we've got to make sure we do that adjustments. I think the other thing is we've struggled in the last two weeks with um, the secondary in terms of minimizing the run. In other words, the run has popped out, which it will, but instead of holding it to, you know, maybe a four-yard gain or – you know, a 10-yard gain even, but not a breakout. And Faison's kind of been in the middle of that. He missed a big tackle against Henry uh, uh, two weeks ago and then, you know, a big, big one on the first run uh, Sunday and then later. But I, I think cupping the ball in angles we have to revisit. I think I think we just have to get back to more physical play. They did something that nobody has really done much to, and they they attacked Buckner in a different way. They did a lot of gap blocking. They never let him one-on-one, and instead of always running to Grover, they kind of flipped it. They kind of run like gap blocking over there, and then on on one of the good chunk runs, they whammed him. So they blocked him from outside in, taking advantage of his ability to get upfield. So, you know, I think the other thing is we might, you know, we might just want to just change the front up some. We we tend to be a one-front team. You know, and that is an over front. And I know you got to be good at what you do, but I, I think there's a point where 
we could we could mix in a little bit double sink, a little bit of under, and just move the guys around. I, th- I think what happens at a certain point in the season, if you never change that front, then the defense they work against all week is the very defense they see during the game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I think they could help themselves a little bit there. And then again, I I said it kind of in closure here is that you know the secondary's also got to do a good a better job of minimizing the runs minimizing the runs now we did a you know we did a couple we had a couple really good plays we did we did come up with some sacks you know we had four sacks that I think that disrupted Lawrence I mean he had a good day on paper but he didn't get the big big yardage and he they didn't they didn't want to hold it very long the way we were coming and then I can't say enough about EJ Speed's play on that fourth and one because that might have been the game because the momentum was all with them right there. And I think they could have held onto the ball longer and maybe put that game away and speeds play on fourth and one. I'm telling you, him and Franklin, those two guys are two of the most physical linebackers. You gotta go back to my guys when we played a different style, you know, the Krauses and the Odoms and the Harad to have two guys that play as physical as those two guys. Yeah, some thumpers up front, no doubt about it. Zion yes. Franklin's playing great, you know, second in the NFL in total tackles so far. Got to get that defensive shored up against the run going yep. out, going into this game. Uh, as we shift gears and uh, let's get ready for one of the biggest games of the year. There's no doubt about that. Tennessee in a very familiar spot heading into week number seven for them. That's leading the AFC South. They've won the division the last two years, and they've won four straight games against the Colts, which is their longest winning streak ever against Indianapolis. So if you go back a few weeks, they beat the Colts 24-17 to in week four. The Colts got down big in that game early. They trailed 24-3 to midway through the second quarter, scratched their way back, but just couldn't close out the comeback. And it, it proved once again how good the Titans are, Rick, in close games. They're 3-1 yeah. and one this season in games decided by one score, and they are 24-13 and 13 in one-score games since Mike Vrabel took over as head coach back in 2018. That's because they're great in the red zone. They don't turn the football over, and they don't beat themselves. Those are you know, the keys for the Titans over the last couple of years, and they're coming off the bye. They and the Steelers are the only two undefeated teams since 2018 in the regular season with nine or more days rest between games. So they get the job done when they are rested to a degree, whether that's a week off or coming off Thursday night football. And they're going to be fired up for this game uh, because it's a home game. It's their first home game since September the 19th. So the fan base is going to be charged up and because it's the Colts and because of what this game means. So what else stands out to you about the Titans on the big picture going into this game? No, that, that I I think you you did a good job of of chronicling it. I I do give uh, Mike Brable a lot of credit because, you know, again, you know, to win all those close games, you got to be doing something right. You got to be making a lot more right decisions mm-hmm. uh, than incorrect decisions. There's no doubt about it. You know, I think their strength overall as a franchise is that they know exactly who they are. Uh, they never get too far away from that. Um, they're kind of built. You know, they're built to play this way. They have two, I think, terrific players on offense, and they play great, as you said, situational football. When you look at them third down, when you look at them red zone, you know, uh, when you look at them actually in the first quarter, they're a great starting team. They get off to a great start, all the team, and they play very, very physical. And as you said, they don't beat themselves. You know, you go back to game one, 
they did what they do. I mean, they came out, Henry, 5.2, you know, 100, 114. Uh, Tannehill, 125.6 passer rating and two TDs. They didn't turn it over. Then they were three for three in the red zone. That's, I mean, that's just the formula. You know, I mean, it, it just happens to be the last game in a close game. And then, you know, on defense, they shut down our running game. Uh, they got three sacks, three turnovers. And, again, they started out fast. So, I mean, that's kind of uh, really who they are. Again, their strength on offense is they start fast. They're number one in the first quarter in the National Football League with 8.4. Uh, they're great in the red zone, um, always premier one, two, three. Henry is 5-2 versus the Colts, and Tannehill has a lifetime 94-2 passer rating. And then the strengths on defense, again, situationally, they're third in the league on third down, ninth in the red zone, sacks 14, and first quarter defense <laughs> number six. And again, they've got two, you know, the two ambient players on offense are obviously Henry and, and Tannehill, and Tannehill is just the, the consummate complimentary quarterback for that offense. <clears throat> and then on defense, the two guys that have really hurt us over the years are Simmons and Autry. You know, and I call Simmons an ambient, and I call Autry a three Tylenol player. So they are a fast starting team. You got to go down there knowing you got to play good early. They're fast starting, they are not stylish but they just find ways to win. And you mm -hmm. mentioned the winning percentage, 24 to 13 in, in, in close games, in one-possession games. So, you know, can't wait for this. I think we're totally ready now mentally and psychologically. Um, need to put all three phases together. But, man, I look forward to a big game again this Sunday. No question about it. All right, let's talk about the blueprints. Let's roll them out. Let's figure out what's on it and what needs to be done for the Colts to win this game. Let's start first with the Tennessee offense, which has been much better, as you said, in the first half compared to the second half. In fact, they've only scored 14 second-half points all season, which is dead last in the NFL, but that hasn't stopped them from winning football games, and they've won three in a row. So the overall numbers uh, on offense, they're not going to blow you away. 21st in rushing, 28th in passing, 31st in overall yards, and 25th on third down. But where they win and how they win, that's inside the red zone. They're number one in the NFL in red zone efficiency. They are 12 for 13 in scoring touchdowns inside the 20-yard line, and they've converted their last 11 red zone trips into touchdowns. So they're not an explosive team but they don't miss chances to score, and they also don't turn the football over, and no turnovers in the last two games. They only have six on the season, and Ryan Tannehill is doing what Ryan Tannehill does. He takes what the defense gives him. He keeps the Titans on schedule, and his 106.1 passer rating in the last three games ranks fourth in the NFL in that time. And they always have Derrick Henry. He's back. He's turned uh, and, and back-to-back 100-yard -back rushing games. He's found the end zone in four straight games. He had a great first half against the Colts a few weeks back. He had 99 yards rushing before halftime at Lucas Oil Stadium. So uh, that's the gist for me, Rick. What else am I missing about the Titans on offense going into this game? No, that, that that's it, really. I think their offensive coordinator – who uh, worked for me in St. Louis, Todd Downing, has done a really good job of maintaining their style and then functioning some of the new guys' role players into it. The style is very simple, as you said. They're going to run the steel horse till you stop him, and they're going to put him back there 
like in the deep. He's not in the eye formation, but it's like an eye. He's really deep back in there, and they're going to hand him the ball and zone it and let him go and give him nine gaps to run. And it's fairly simple, occasionally toss it, occasional counter, but they're just going to pound you, and he's going to get a lot of carries, you know, if they're not behind in a, in, in a long time. And then Tannehill is probably the most accurate and most solid play-action guy in the league. He's a master at play-action now, particularly, Matt, between the numbers. He's really good at play-action, over routes, bootleg crosses. He's really good between the numbers. I think you have to make him beat you outside the numbers. We'll talk about that. You know, they're not real strong at receiver. They've lost Burke. You know, they obviously lost Brown a year ago. But, you know, the go-to guy now is Woods. Woods is healthy. If they need a play, uh, they're going to move Woods around to get it. A key third down, it's going to be Woods. He's a very, very solid possession guy. And then after Woods, everybody's a specialist. Hilliard comes in on third down, number 40, and he's a really good loose playback. He doesn't protect very well, so when he's in a game, I would like to come after him. Um, Westbrook, uh, Westbrook slash Ukine uh, from Indiana yeah. is really their shot guy. You know, he's kind of there. He's got some speed, and they use him when they want to take a shot. Maybe if he's at the slot or the wideout, he's the deeper guy. Woods is not that guy. That's it's it's more Westbrook hyphen. And then the kid that's now coming on now that Burks is out, and he's a really true slot guy is the rookie Phillips, um, and he's a guy that's very much like. Edelman and that crew, Welker, very, very quick, sharp. you got to worry about him on that third and three to five downs where it's about options. And then Alconquo, uh is number 85, is the rookie tight end, who's their, kind of their gadget guy. He's a very, very good athlete. Uh, he, does, he doesn't do the dirty work. Uh, Swain does the dirty work. But he's in there. He can run a reverse. He can run different things like that, and that's kind of who they are. Again, they're going to, you know, they're going to run it and play action. Um, I think their offensive line is obviously a much better run blocking team than pass blocking. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're worth a damn when they have to throw. That's why. That's why getting ahead fast is so important for them, so they never have to play for. You know, from advantage. You know, from disadvantage. I, I think that's so key this week. Advantage, disadvantage is everything in this one. Uh, I think if you know if they are forced into a one-dimensional game, let's say we get up ten, I, I think that's the death knell for the Titans because I don't think they can protect it, and it'll just put too much pressure on Tannehill. All right, in terms of the must specifically, uh, number one, you know, it doesn't take a genius on this one. You have to control Henry. He's going to get yards, but you got to make him get his yards over high volume. You know, you really don't want him at four two. You want at five two. You want him more three nine four zero. He and you know he has deceptive speed, so you always have to set the edge. You know, we saw him bounce one uh, in the first game where the corner lost a leverage and he was able to take it outside. We saw him a couple years ago or last year run a toss crack to our to our right for a big play. So you have to really set the edge and then penetrate with your defensive front. You don't want to stay stationary on the line. You want to go get him and then define it for your linebackers so your linebackers can go pin him, pursuit, and beat him up. 
You always want him going lateral. You always want those shoulders running to the sidelines. You never want him to get downhill on you. you got to punish him. Uh, now, I think that uh, Todd has done a really good job. We saw it in our game. That's where it really started in trying to get him space with the screen game. You know, he ran that mm-hmm. sway screen. They ended up calling it a run, but it was really a sway screen for a big play against us, and then he ran a slow screen for about 15. And so kind of that's their way. He's in the check down game. You know, but at the end of the day, take away the big running game from him. Don't let him get the big day. Number two, we got to take away Tannehill's, I'll say this first, his wheels and his ability to throw those play-action passes. And that's where if you could stifle the run, they become less effective. Now, Tannehill is a really good athlete, and he'll test you on the boots. And one of the reasons they're so good in the red zone is he's a guy that can get down in there, and you've seen it against us. He'll run a quarterback draw. He'll run the, he'll run the zone read. He'll run an option. I mean, the guy is really good in his career. Uh, he has 25 rushing touchdowns, okay? So, I mean, this is, this is a guy that can – he adds a back – and I said this last week against uh, Lawrence. There are some similarities in their athleticism, and I said this last week. When you're in the red zone, you've got you've to, you've to consider Tannehill as another running back. You have to account for him. You cannot, you know, you cannot just treat him like a normal quarterback. And then again, I, you really, as you stop the run, you really want to shut off that inside passing game. And I think you got to play a little bit more man-to-man, which I don't mind. There's, these guys are not blistering fast at all. I think the receiver core is limited. Uh, I think you want to play some coverages like six buzz, where the weak safety comes down in the hole. He actually has the hook, but he comes down from high, so he can read that play action on the way down. Uh, second down, you want to get in your four matchups and choke everything because they just try to get back on you. And then I like edge pressure and five-man rush because the edge pressure uh, sets the edge on the running game and the bootleg game and gives you covers every lane in there. I wouldn't mind them playing a little sink. They don't do it by nature, but we know how tough that can be against the zone running team. Right. And then number three, I think you know everybody's got to know, just like I've described these guys, is you've got, you know, if in a critical situation, you're going to direct your coverage. Technically, you're going to direct it to Woods. So everybody else, like if it's Kenny Moore, he's really got to study Phillips in the slot, know exactly how he runs those quick stuff. we got to know, you know, if it's Westbrook out there, you know, that, that he's going to probably go deep on you. Same thing, gimmicks with the tight end. Like we should have known that Agnew was going to run a reverse last week. I mean, right off the bat, that was going to happen. And and I think the point I'm making is on some of these other guys, we have to ha- we have to play a really good game one on one. Our secondary and linebackers have to do a really good job. And then number four, and I think this is everything: is you got to seize the advantage and kill their offensive line. You know, we got to win the one on ones across the board, whether it's run or whether it's pass, I think their left side is horrendous when it comes to pass. Left left tackle Daly Mm -hmm. is a sub, you know, left guard Brewer. Uh, And I'll say it, you'll not see a worse pass blocking line than this. And establishing that lead is so important. And then you can force Tannehill into turnovers. He didn't have a turnover in the first game because – 
they played with that big lead. They almost let it get away, but the big lead allowed them to play super conservative for the rest of the day. I'll also note one thing. Hilliard, who is a very good player in space and a good third down back in terms of the passing game, is a below-average pass blocker, so don't be afraid to bring it on third down. So those are the four musts that I see. Again, you know, uh, bottle up Henry, make sure that we can play Tannehill between the numbers, uh, take away the other guys one-on-one, and then get the advantage and get after this offensive line. This is this is another one of those Baskin-Robbins take a number offensive <laughs> line, take a number on which guy you want. Rick Venturi on Inside Football. I'm Matt Taylor. That is the Colts defense to slow down the Tennessee offense. Let's shift gears and roll out the blueprint to beat the Titans on defense. Tennessee, Rick, has jumped all the way up to number five in the NFL and stopping the run. Uh, they've allowed just 81 rushing yards in the last two games, including just 38 to the Colts a few weeks back, which was the lowest total the Titans have ever posted in a game against the Colts. However, Tennessee dead last in the NFL in passing defense. They've allowed at least 300 yards passing in four or five games on the season, including a season-high 359 to the Commanders last time out before the bye. So trying to get better in that regard, but they're pretty good on third down this season, ranking number two in the NFL. They held the Commanders to just one for 11, and the biggest area of concern is how to block Danico Autry, the former Colt. He wrecked the first game at Lucas Oil. He had two sacks and a forced fumble a few weeks back. So what else stands out to you about the Titans on defense and your must when the Colts have the ball, Rick? Yeah, the the run defense has really come on for them, and it really should because they really have a really fine front four. You know, Cole uh, Cole is a, is a really tough linebacker, Long is a tough linebacker. You know, and when they bring Bayard down into the action, I mean, that's a really good front seven. I mean, I, I think it, that their stats, and we talked about this, they, they were a little bit distorted by that Buffalo blowout. I think they're starting to be real, and I, <clears throat> I think you always have to go by what they did against us. And as you said, that they held Jonathan 2.1, and that made all the difference. This is This is a team that plays... I think the whole is greater than the parts. It plays situational football, and that's their salvation. They play so much better when they're in the head of the count. Look at the areas they're really good at. Like you said, number two on third down and 27% against. That's terrific. But, again, they're ahead in the count. They got you third and long. Boom, they got you. 14th in sacks. So, it isn't great, but it's top half of the league with 2.6 a game. And then they end up they end up playing better pass coverage in the red zone because, again, their limitations really do get limited in that there's no space to defend. And I think their secondary plays better in tight quarters. So, I mean, I think the thing about it is you want to stay out of advantage and, you know, as you said, this may be a game that's a little bit similar to last week. I don't think two games are necessarily the same, but you, you can't be stubborn against this team, and they're very, very tough up front. I do think you can run it some, and I'll get into the, I'll get into the must. I think when you do run it, what you, I think you're much better off, and I said this last week, and I think it held up, is – you you, you want to open the formations against Tennessee to run against them, just like Jacksonville. And that's where sometimes that no huddle comes in and you keep them in one defense. But they tend to play, on, especially 
on first and second down, they tend to play very vanilla in their nickel defense. It's almost always over. It's some kind of eight-man front or cover four. And so you can work the bubble, and which also really works away from Simmons. I, I do kind of want to work the bubble away from Simmons most of the time, and I want to make my money there. But I don't want to get in tight formations. It just seems, and this is true over the years. I, I don't know why, but when teams try to run it in heavy formations, it just seems like that you got all of Nashville up in there, and they seem to be able to really stop that. So I say open it up a little bit. Make sure you open it up. Don't be afraid to get outside and get your toss crack going. And then a little bit of misdirection on Cole. Now, number two, and this is important, just like last week, this might be a heavy throwing game, okay? you got to run a lot of play action where you freeze their linebackers in that front seven. I'm going to make a statement here. This team, when they play defense, they survive on the rush, Matt, not on coverage. They are not a good coverage team, whether it's man or zone, they have some issues. I'll get into their man issues, but their zone issues is they, they, they run a lot of blitz and drop stuff. And a lot when that means a lineman drop and a linebacker rush, which is good on the blackboard, but when you're dropping linemen, your zones get really distorted. And as good an athlete as Cole and Long is, they tend to get distorted. They tend to get out of position, particularly with any kind of play fake because they go so hard to the run. So I really think you can attack them inside on on play action crosses. You know, if you remember, our tight ends in that last ball game got had 11 catches for 180 and two touchdowns. I mean, we we scorched them with our tight ends on those intermediate areas. And then when you want to take a shot, you want to get Pierce. You want to get Pierce over there on Mitchell, their third corner. So you really kind of want to get them in nickel. And then 39, Mitchell comes in the game. McCree goes to the, the nickel spot. And I think the weakest link in the secondary um, is Mitchell. And I think you have to work on him and take your shots outside. So I think, again, play action, particularly on those linebackers on second down. Number three, and this kind of, this really harkens back to last week, protect Ryan, okay? And part of that, part of that protection is stay with that quick rhythm stuff. It will be good against this team. It really will because, again, they're not a real great zone team. They're okay in man, not great in man. So I think the quick rhythm is excellent because, again, what did I say before? They stop the pass by getting ahead in the count and get their rushers going. That's that's the important thing. They They want to get those rushers going, and so – you got, again, you want to stay ahead of the count, release the ball quick, continue to work your screen game, and then you got to protect Simmons and Autry. Where they're really dangerous is when they get on third down and they get now Mario Edwards, who's been playing for the uh, injured Dupree on one side, Weaver on the other side, and then when they kick Autry inside with Simmons. Now that is a load right in there. And we got to make sure that we are firm inside, and that we can jam that inside. I don't think their rushers are great on the edge, but inside you have to have a good protection plan for um, for Simmons and Autry. And you know Autry comes loaded against us no matter what. Oh, I mean, yeah. He had a, another two-sack game against us. The two of them have combined you know, for seven-and-a-half sacks. So, again, 
this is the game we have to protect them. I don't care how many protectors we have to have in or how quick we throw the ball. It's To me, you play them with extremes, either max protection or you get it out really quick like we did last week. And getting it out quick, again, has that has that factor that it really it, it, it frustrates um, uh, the rushers, no question about it. And then number four, and this, I said this about the other side of the ball, is, again, control first and second down. We need that total mix on first down, which we did last week. Just mix it up, base pass, quick rhythm, mm-hmm. run versus nickel, control the early tempo, stay ahead of the chains. The Titans' formula, remember, as a team, is to start fast and hold on. Hold on. That's how, that's how they played, really. I mean, <laughs> that's right. It's that's statistically right. proven that's who they are. Get after them early. Get them on their te- heels. If you do that and you get them in a, let's say, a 10-point a, a disadvantage, all of a sudden the rush, the rush impact isn't there. Mm-hmm. I, I think kind of it's like I out-tighten the Titans, if you will. You know, let's, right. let's us get off to the fast start. We don't want to be down 14-3 to three no to them. Okay, now we were able to come back from that last week, but we don't want to be down 14-3 to three there. And so I think those are the keys. All right, to close out here again, we go back to what we started off with, Rick, the Colts getting a a monkey off their back last weekend, beating the Jaguars and proving that uh, they're much better than uh, the team that went down there in week 2 and lost 24 to nothing. As you look forward to this week, you know, the Colts face off against another team that has owned them, and there's no other way to to put it. I mean, four straight, five of the last six have gone to the Titans. Um, they've become the class of the AFC South, a division that the Colts used to dominate, and that's no longer the case. And this is the last AFC South game for the Colts until Week 18. That's the last week of the season. It's crazy to say that, but but five-sixths of your AFC South schedule is going to be in the rearview mirror, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon about 4.30. So first place is on the line. A win puts you in the driver's seat. Rick, what would be – your message to this team dialed in but not too overhyped to win this football game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I I think the nature of the game coming off the win like that, defense angry at itself, I I think those are really good, um, you know, they're really good factors in getting ready for the game. You know, I I think it's about exercising these demons. Um, You know, we exercised one last week, and this is really the big one. I mean, we've you know, from our owner to our coaches to everybody in the building, you know, we've talked about this Tennessee, beat Tennessee. We've got to overcome and retake the division. Well, here it is. You know, now's the time. It's 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 put up or shut out. I mean, I think the important thing that everybody has to know, and if it's too much pressure, then you don't belong in the game. I mean, this game puts you in the driver's seat. This game puts you on top of the AFC it gives you the lead in the division, and then, you know, with a lot of games as, as we look forward that we certainly can win and we're coming together as a team, it, 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 but a loss puts you in a deep hole because, again, then you, you fall behind Tennessee with, with two losses, and, and, again, if it comes down to tiebreakers and things like that, it's not good. I, I think the biggest thing is every person on this team, coach, player, every one of you, you wouldn't be here if you didn't have that inner champion inside of you. Mm-hmm. And I think you got to reach deep here and find that inner champion. It, it lives in everybody. 
And then I think the biggest thing with everybody's got to know, this is a big game. Let's, let's, let's don't minimize it. This is a big game. And I always say this, great players play great in big games. I really believe this, and I would tell the team this. I think we are the better football team, regardless of past history. I think we're the better football team. I think Tennessee is the most overachieving team, which is a credit to them. But they're very beatable because of that. Okay, But what it's going to take, it's going to take all three phases. It's going to take the special teams that we've been playing with every week. It's going to be the defense that we played at Denver and the offense that we played last week against Jacksonville. I really believe this. We are the better team, and what we need is a 60-minutes game where all three phases are at their highest level, and you will get it done. There you go. I love how that ended, plain and simple, baby. It's all there in front of the Colts on Sunday. If the playoffs started today, Rick, the Colts would be in. I mean, that's that's how much parity is in this league right now. Let's not forget that. I mean, I know the Colts are off to you know, a start that um, they're not a huge fan of, but – Listen, there's there's 11 games left, and uh, now the Colts can take matters into their own hands and climb into first place in the AFC South here with a win. Rick, that's a great breakdown as always, my man. Really appreciate the blueprints, the uh, inspiration there to close out. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, let's head down to Nashville. Maybe check out some live music if you want to tag along, and uh, I'll buy you dinner. How about that? Hey, that sounds really, really good. I'm going to miss that station wagon trip we took last year. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I, I am not going to miss thing, that, actually. <laughs> we'll get there quicker. <laughs> yeah, last year with the, the COVID season, not traveling with a team, yeah, we took the Dodge Caravan or whatever it was, but we made it work. But, yeah, this year we're back on the Big Birds, so we'll get down there with a little bit more efficiency. RV, can't wait for it, my man. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll talk to you on uh, Saturday for Travel Day. All right, you too, Matt. You got it. Rick Venturi right there. That's Inside Football, the best breakdown, schematics, X's and O's. You're flat out going to get anywhere else uh, when you talk about Colts and Titans going into week number seven. For the latest on the Colts, check it out, Colts.com, the Colts mobile app, and also be sure to subscribe to everything on the Colts Audio Network. Again, for Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. That is a fantastic breakdown here on Inside Football, and we'll do it again next Wednesday. Talk to you on another installment of the podcast when we get ready to talk about the Commanders. And, Rick, maybe a couple storylines going into that game. I don't know what those would be. Well, you know, I don't know that broken <laughs> finger, but that, that broken finger, I really read this morning where uh, where he he may miss four weeks so yeah. you, you know that uh, that 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 that'll t- that'll take a little drama out of it <laughs> well it there's may become a normal football game yeah. by then. well there's some well there's there's some drama out of that but then there's also some off the field drama with uh with the owners going on so oh, if, how about that yeah oh, if, yeah if you don't yeah. know what we're talking about just uh find your local google <laughs> machine maybe do a do a, a web search and you'll find out what's going on we'll leave it at that but we will talk <laughs> to you right we'll talk right. to you I next forgot. yeah we'll do that next wednesday and and maybe break that down in more detail storyline wise going into the commanders but titans up next on sunday for rick venturi again i'm matt taylor and we will do it again a week from now on inside football so long